we, we may have taken it a little too far. Just, but hey, when you're the best, you know, you just got to celebrate. I want to thank my friend Clay Francois for letting me borrow his jersey today. I'm, I'm officially inspired to buy my own at this point as well. And uh, man, I lived for three years in Arkansas, almost a year in Florida at one point, and then four years in East Texas. So it's good to be back home and be the best and be able to celebrate it in church and not be accused of blasphemy. If you don't like it, it's okay. We'll pray for you. <laughs> You're going to be all right. For the rest of our lives, we get to refer to 2020, the best college football team that has ever played the game. We didn't just show that video because we love LSU, but I would have. Uh, <laughs> we actually, not too long ago, just a few years back, uh, a pastor named Kyle Eidelman wrote a book called Fan or Follower, and, and it's, it's really the theme of the day. I'm not going to refer really much more to his book, but the, the essence of that series and of that book is, are you a fan of Jesus or are you a follower of Jesus? I've, I've grown up in an atmosphere, North Louisiana, and then again, Arkansas, East Texas, South Louisiana, where a lot of people agree with Jesus, but not so many of them believe in Jesus. Like, they're at the game, but they ain't in the game. Come on, somebody. Look, you only get a ring if you're in the game. You don't get a ring for being at the game. You don't get the reward for being at the game, but you get the reward for being in the game. You don't get the reward for being a spectator. You get the reward for being a participator. And God wants you to be a follower of Jesus, not just a fan. He wants you to believe in him, not just agree with him. Hey, speaking of getting in the game, um, if you haven't already been through, if, if you're new here, if you haven't been through Next Steps, it will be the next three Sundays, one, two, and three, beginning this Sunday, right after our third service. If you've been through and, and you don't really know if you got out of it what you thought you were supposed to, then hey, come back and, and sit down with us again. We'll, we'll love on you and introduce you to a, a whole new group of people. If you haven't been through Next Steps, that's our assimilation process. It's it's how we help you discover your purpose and find you a place to be involved or even dream up a ministry that we're not doing currently. Another way that you can plug in, you can get in the game, is this Sunday you can sign up for a small group. We've got almost 45 small groups available this semester. People leading and co-leading and, and hosting People that God has transformed over the last two years that want to be a part of inviting someone else along in their journey. They don't all have PhDs in Bible theology, but they're disciples of Jesus Christ that say, hey, I don't know if I've got it all figured out, but we're going to figure this out together. You are invited to come and be a part of my journey, and we can follow Jesus, connect to him, and connect to one another. I believe that this is part of the DNA of God's church, not just this church, but the Bible says that they gathered in the temple and they met in their homes daily. I believe that part of the New Testament church process is that we're supposed to be a big church with small groups. 
a big church that celebrates every Sunday and as many services as needed every once a week and sometimes twice a week that we celebrate what God is doing in our lives. And then in between those times, we're meeting together and growing closer to him together, a big church with small groups. When I was uh, in Arkansas, one of the three years that I was there, uh, LSU decided to have, I think it was uh, overtime or double overtime. And, and it was like that year, it was like that time my little brother beat me in the video game, finally. You know, uh, he finally won, and I, to this day, have never heard the end of it. I learned a valuable lesson that day. So, like, I arm wrestled my little brother a few years back, and I kicked his tail. And so I said, that was it. Because he's still growing and stuff. And then I've kind of peaked. Like, I'm growing I'm going out, but I, you know, what I'm saying, like, trying to fight this battle. You know, my knees buckle more than my pants do. Come on, somebody. So, I, uh, I, but I arm wrestled him a few years back, and I slammed him. I was like, "That's it. I'm never arm wrestling you again." He's like, "No, you got to give me another chance." No, baby, that was your chance. I beat you for the rest of my life. I beat you. Well, he had beat me in a game uh, on, and this was very similar to what happened to me when I was living in Arkansas. The first year LSU won. The second year Arkansas won. And I went to church the next day. And I had been as humble as possible. You know, the Bible is very clear. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. So the year before, I was as humble as possible. Uh, So I went to church and, and I was about to be humbled. It was that day that I forever learned to hate the program of the Arkansas Razorbacks. I did not hear the end of it. I don't hate the people. I don't hate the state. It's actually a beautiful state with some incredible people. But the Arkansas Razorbacks have taught me to hate all things outside of the blood of Jesus. Anything else that's red, I just don't like it. Like, I don't even have very many red shirts in my closet. There's no, no like, but I am pulling for the Chiefs today, just for the record. It's like... Sometimes you just got to pick your poison, you know what I mean? (laughs) So I am pulling for them today. The reason that I said that is that that week I decided, um, since I was the leader, um, and God gives grace to the humble, uh, and I was humble, and I didn't feel like I was getting much grace, I thought I'd just draw it out of him. Man, they were so excited, and one of them jumped up. It was like the leadership in this kid came to the surface all of a sudden. Uh, he jumped up, and he led the calling of the hogs. He won't lead worship, won't serve on any other team, but he was leading calling the hogs that night. So here he came, and, and he was, woo! And they got to about to the third one. I let them do the first two. I was like, okay, okay. They did the third one. They got their hands up in the air right at the top. And I said, now leave your hands in the air and worship Jesus like he's done something in your life. Boom. We hit the first note and went into worship. It was awesome. <laughs> They're like, <"Ooh>, uh-uh. <laughs> I use that as an illustration to not be a fan, but a follower. I use that as an illustration. It's too easy on this Super Bowl Sunday where we're talking about getting in the game. It's too easy to allude to that example in a culture that idolizes athletics more than they do the spiritual authority of God in their own lives. Academics, you can put it anywhere you want to. And I know that we'll celebrate and we'll scream and we'll shout and we'll clap. And uh, we can enjoy those things. Nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with celebrating your own children unless you make your children an idol that you celebrate over the creator and God of all that was and is and is to come. Uh, I, I'm the loudest cheerleader of, of my children. Uh, sometimes to, to their regret. Like they don't always love how loud I cheer. But that's okay because they're going to remember it. Come on somebody. They walk up in the midst of all their friends. I love you. 
Love you. Not leaving till you say it back. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> You're as honorary as me, and I will stay here longer. I've got more practice at this. <laughs> I'm, I'm that guy. Um, I will cheer for my children. And, and what I decided not to do um, is I decided that I wasn't going to praise my own children more than I praised my heavenly father for being his child. And whatever that looked like in every area of my life, I, I wanted to make sure that, that God knew he wasn't my last resort, but my first priority. And that I wasn't just a fan and in agreement with the things of God, but I was a follower. Joshua chapter 24, I'm going to walk you through the book of Joshua today. We're actually going to go backwards a little bit, start at the end and then go back to the beginning. But Joshua chapter 24, the English standard version, the Bible says the people said to Joshua, going to confess, this is, the, this is the kind of church I'm trying to build, just for the record. This is, this is the body of Christ that I'm attempting to build right here, is when, when people would not just listen to what I have to say, but that they would begin to come and say to me, as the people said to Joshua, the Lord is our, our God. He's our God. So the people of Israel didn't come to Joshua and say, the Lord is God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he's, not, he's not God of my fathers. He's not God of my forefathers. He's not God of my church. He's not God of my pastor. He's my God. The Lord is, he's my God. He's not just the God of your sermons. He's not just the God that I've heard of. He's not just the God of the culture that I was raised in. He's my God. It's personal. It's intimate. It's authentic. He's my God. And I will serve him. His voice we will obey. I've spent so much time with him on my own, in his word, and in prayer, on Bible studies in version app, in small groups with other people preparing, in freedom groups with one of the other 70 people that are signed up. Come on, somebody. That is a great ministry. And, and God is going to blow your minds over the next 13 weeks with a retreat right there at the end. It's not just for them. He's for me. He's my God. And I will serve him and I will obey his voice because I've spent enough time with him that I recognize his voice. How do we get to this place? How do we become what the children of Israel finally declared at the end of Joshua's tenure in chapter 24? Well, we can do that in one of two ways. And, and, and I would say that you will either... Grow in your relationship with Jesus through wisdom, like reading his word, practicing his principles, implementing obedience and discipline. You will, you will grow through wisdom or you will grow through consequence. You will grow through bad decisions and difficult outcomes, not that happened to you because you were in a fallen world around fallen people, but happened to you because of the disobedience that you allowed to stay in your life. You'll either learn through wisdom, wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And so like you can make the right decision before you make the wrong decision. Like the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard and the Holy Spirit will let you know what's coming ahead all at the same time. That's wisdom. You can learn from the wisdom of a multitude of counsel. 
There's some men and women in this word. They've got some stories to tell you. If you'll just read about it, you don't have to repeat their mistakes. That's good. I don't know how to read the Bible. We'll read it from the perspective of the author that's writing it. And then implement into your life what you realize they should have implemented into theirs. That's wisdom. Or you can make your own mistakes. You can repeat it over and over again and continue to stumble in the same things and have to suffer from the same consequences. I just decided I'm, I'm going to take God at his word. I shared this not too long ago. I was beginning to think about it. And, and I had read that Billy Graham had done this at one time. And, and that's a pretty good person to model your life after. But I had done this beforehand. I came to this place in life. I was about 21 years old. I came to this place in life where I said, you know what, God? I don't, I don't understand this. I, I don't understand the world I don't get all the whys and all the what's that take place, but I'm going to follow you. I'm going to take you at your word. Like, I'm going to believe that this is the absolute truth. Here's the way I actually have come to say it. I'm going to hold you accountable to what you said. And if this is not absolute truth, then you owe me. But as long as it is, you've already paid anything that I would ever be owed. And as long as it's true, then I get to stand in your presence and be grateful that I did. If it's not true, then hey, look, I still ended up a way better version of myself. And I would rather get before God and find out that I was wrong than stand before him because I was wrong. I wanna, I'm believing you at your word. I'm going to take you at your word. Joshua chapter 10. How do the people get to this place? Joshua chapter 10, I'm going to read this story quickly. Um, Starting in verse 12, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you have a hard time keeping up with scriptures today, they're on the back of your bulletin. They're also at eunicechurch.com slash notes, and they're on the screen if you need them as well. Verse 12 says, At that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel. And he said in the sight... Of Israel, sun stand still at Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Ahalan. Okay, uh, just leave that up there for a second. I want you to notice that Joshua's first priority was that he went and spoke to the Lord. He didn't go talk to the people, and he didn't start screaming at the sun. He spoke to the Lord, then he had something to say to the people that was revealed in the evidence of what he was able to say to the son. Because he went to God first, not as a last resort, like he didn't go talk to everybody else and then get mad at the world around him and then go back to God and complain to God after he'd already done all that other stuff. That's not what he did. He went first, he spoke to the Lord, and then he began to have something to say. At the end of that verse, verse 13, the sun stood still. It's an incredible miracle. The moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. So God paused time until Israel got their vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? Not Jafar, just making sure that you notice, but Jashar. Is this not written in the book of Jashar? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. Verse 14 says, there has been no day like it before or since. It was the greatest day Israel had ever experienced. 
No day has ever been like it. And when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, the Lord fought for Israel. As you continue to read in Joshua chapter 10, you will see that not only in that day, but also in the second day, Israel began to clean house. They began to plunder the land. They began to conquer the kings. There were five Amorite kings that went and hid in the cave. They held them in the cave until they took care of all the people that they needed and all the land that that God had commanded them over. And then they came back and they helped those kings meet Jesus. (laughs) All right, they killed them. Okay, so anyways, uh, they, they did everything that God, and then more. In fact, the rest of the chapter is 40 verses full. 40 verses full. Have you guys seen that sign? Uh, It's like one of those eternity now signs. It's like, want to know God? We can help you. Like, whoa, (laughs) if I dial this number, what's going to happen? Anyways, so all these things had happened for 40, 40 verses. And you get to the end and the Bible says, and Israel returned home together and rested in Gilgal. Now we open chapter 11. Not very long after, And Israel, after this great day and this great victory, they're surrounded by a whole new army. In fact, the attack against them has multiplied. This is what it reads in verse 3 of Joshua chapter 11. The Canaanites in the east and the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Tekahites, (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I just, the Hivites, just making sure you're paying attention. It's like, man, that's a new one. I ain't seen that one before. <laughs> what version is he reading? <laughs> the Hivites under Hermon in the land of Mizpah. Watch verse four. They all came out with all their troops, a great horde in number like the sand that is on the seashore with very many horses and chariots, with very many horses and chariots. And all these kings joined their forces and came and encamped together at the waters of Maram to fight against Israel. They had just won a great victory. They had just fought a great fight. A day stood still and they took full advantage of that day. And they were basking in that victory and they were attempting to rest. They had just overcome that obstacle and they just needed one day to take a breath. They just needed one week of peace, just just one season to stay ahead, God. Just just one moment where I don't have to continue to struggle the way that I've been struggling. If you could just let me breathe for just just a second then I'll be okay. I just, I just need you to insulate me from anything for just a little while. And then they're surrounded by armies. In fact, the Jewish historian Josephus, he wrote that it was probable that this army was approximately 300,000 infantrymen, 10,000 cavalry, and 20,000, 20,000 war chariots. And a war chariot in that day was like a tank today. It was an insurmountable enemy. My question for you today is, have you ever felt like you won a great victory in Jesus? Just to wake up the very next day, surrounded by what seems to be an insurmountable enemy. Another enemy at your doorstep. Another day. That you felt like you needed a break, but you don't get one. 
Another bill on top of everything else. Another report after you just prayed. A great victory one day. The sun stood still in a miraculous moment. Healing and anointing in Sunday. Healing and anointing at the end of 21 days of prayer and fasting. And then you wake up on Monday and it starts all over again. What do you do when you experience a great victory and wake up with another enemy? I I hesitated to even use this, but man, it's been so cool to watch uh, Coach Ogeron's journey just from... The, the mishaps and the failures and, and then all the way back to around the LSU and, and then not really so great of a start. Come on, you guys remember a couple of years ago? Like, this dude ain't going to make it. <laughs> and then all of a sudden he builds this program and he has this staff and he puts together one of the best teams in college history. And, and they, they win the ultimate victory. They're the national champions. And everybody on TV is saying they're the greatest that's ever played the game. And then before they even get back home to Baton Rouge to have the parade, half his team has declared for the NFL draft. There was a mass exodus in his coaching staff. And before he even has an opportunity to celebrate the victory that we're still celebrating, <laughs> He's got to try to rebuild everything that he's losing. You would think they would want to stay. Like, hey, let's do this again. Let's win another one. But that's not how the world works. And so he's rejuvenating. He's reevaluating. Right at the end of what should have been a great celebration, he's carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders again because he understands that he will always be held accountable to the greatness that he achieved this year. And listen to me, listen to me. If you think that you achieve something because of your own ability, then you will inherit and carry the pressure of continuing in the success of what you think you achieved. But when you understand that it wasn't your ability, but his anointing, It was God that brought you to this place and out of that place. And it is God that will bring you out of this place and into the next place. See, when it's his problem, he gets credit for all of it. (laughs) We look and we wonder, man, how could this have happened? I want to see, I want you to look at Joshua's reaction to being surrounded again by another enemy. Verse 7, the Bible says, So Joshua laid in the floor of his prayer closet, weeping and mourning. He refused to eat until the Lord revealed himself. He screamed at the ceiling and he threw stuff. He smothered his face with pillows so as not to wake up his children. I don't know if you know somebody that's ever done that, but I just, like, that's hypothetical. I ain't never done that. It's like, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm, 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 up, I'm up here because, you know, I'm a preacher and stuff. So that, that happened to somebody else. That was somebody else's story. They was telling me in my office one time. The Bible says, so Joshua begged God for his enemies to go away. It doesn't say any of that. You get where I'm going at this point. Joshua and all of his warriors... Oh, that God would raise up an army in this city. Oh, that God would raise up an army out of this church. 
Oh, that God wouldn't just raise up some watchers to stand guard, but some warriors to make battle. Oh, that God would raise up an individual, would raise up a remnant to reach the rest. Joshua and all of his warriors came suddenly against that enemy by the waters of Maram. They didn't wait for the enemy to attack. They didn't wait for the scheme to come to fruition. They rose suddenly against them and they fell upon them. Please notice in this story and in this passage that Joshua was not sitting in his prayer closet hoping that the enemy would go away. I believe that sometimes we begin to pray things that we've already prayed when God wants us to get in the game and play according to what we've already prayed. Sometimes he just wants us to stand up instead of just sitting and waiting and hoping for the best. He doesn't want us to just watch because we have hope. He wants us to march forward in the hope that he is. Joshua took the battle to the enemy. Sometimes I believe we get offended when we should have taken the offensive. Sometimes we sit back and get our feelings hurt when we should see it as an opportunity to make an example out of the enemy. Now listen, hear me. I'm not talking about people. People are not your enemy. Please hear me today. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your parents are not your enemy, young person. Your friend or former friend is not your enemy. Your family member that you're in discourse with is not your enemy. That person or that situation that you have become bitter instead of forgiving towards, that is not your enemy. There are powers and principalities of darkness that are warring against God's will for your life. The devil and his commies are the enemy that are coming against you. And when you realize who the real enemy is, you don't fight to win in an argument with an individual. You fight to find a solution in the name of Jesus and you become part of the answer in every relationship that you have, starting with the one that Jesus purchased for you. He recognized who the real enemy was. He took the offensive. See, Paul wrote about this same understanding in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Many of you know where I'm going, but I want to make sure that we understand what was happening. In verse 11 of chapter 6, the Bible says, put on... The whole armor of God put on. There is an understood second person you in this phrase. It should read, you put on the whole armor. Nobody's going to come get you dressed. They may have when you were a baby, but you're going to grow up into a true disciple. And there's going to be a time when you're going to have to wake up and put your own clothes on. There's going to be a time when you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. When you've got to embrace the belt of truth. When you've got to pick up that breastplate of righteousness and hold up the shield of faith to protect yourself from the darts of the enemy. Once you've got it all on, then all of a sudden you remember that all of that was just on 
armor, but I still have a weapon, and that weapon is the Word of God, and it's sharper than any double-edged sword, and because I've been spending some time in it, I've got something to say, because I talked to Jesus, I've got something to tell the enemy, because I've been in his presence, the enemy does not get to stay. He might have attempted to mount up an army against me, but I know in whom I have put my trust. I put on, hear me, listen to me. There will be a time where your hunger for God will exceed my ability to feed you. There will be a time where your hunger for God will exceed this service's ability to fulfill that hunger. You know what a lot of people do whenever they reach that place? They think there's something wrong with the church. They think there's something wrong with the preacher. They think there's something wrong with the food. So they go try something else, somewhere else, from somebody else. But I'm telling you right now, as you continue to grow in Jesus, Sunday morning ain't going to be enough, baby. You're going to wake up hungry on Monday. You're going to go to bed hungry on Tuesday. You won't be able to wait for Wednesday to get here so that you can join again together in the presence of like-minded individuals and touch heaven with two or three because there's an in-the-midst anointing that you've been longing for in in your private place with God. Your hunger will exceed my ability to feed you. How was Joshua, how was Joshua able to achieve such a great victory? I have two points and we're going to close. Number one, Joshua knew why he was fighting. He knew why. His eyes were on eternity. His eyes saw way beyond. Hear me, listen, listen. Joshua saw way beyond what he was surrounded by. He looked right past what was standing right in front of him, attempting to keep him from where he knew he was called to go. The enemy would like for you to focus on the waves. The enemy would like for you to focus on the wind. The enemy would like for you to focus on all the people that said you would never make it. But God said, (laughs) I've got a plan and I know what they are. They're plans to give you hope and a future. I've already declared the promised land is yours. All you got to do is cross over, face the enemy, overcome in my authority, not in your ability, and you will receive what I've already purchased according to the atonement and the anointing. It's already done. Why was Joshua able? Because he understood why he was fighting. Paul says it this way. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. I, I considered whether to even go here. It was a tragedy that such a great icon of basketball passed away the way that he did. It's a tragedy not making less of that I really liked Kobe Bryant there's some of them I don't like I liked him he played with Shaq you play with Shaq I like you okay Shaquille O'Neal's just I I just like him 
but everything in the game of basketball. And I don't know Kobe the man. I, I don't know anything about him. I know that it seemed like he was a family man and he was spending time with his children when he passed away. What a great way to go. But he trained hard and he worked hard. And he left a great legacy in the game of basketball. Athletes sometimes train harder than God's anointed. They are attaining a temporary perishable goal. Who won the NBA championship five years ago? Who won the Super Bowl three years ago? Unless it was your team, you don't know. All you know is the last time the Saints won it. Come on. (laughs) Who cares? We work and we train and we invest so much into so temporary. And Paul says, an athlete trains and has self-control in all things just to receive a perishable wreath. But we are training for the imperishable. We are training for the eternal. So Paul says, don't run aimlessly. Don't run aimlessly. This is 1 Corinthians 9, verse 26. It's not in your notes. I, I added it this morning. Don't run aimlessly. Do not box as if we're beating the air. Paul says, I discipline my body. This is a fight. I'm in a fight until my last day. I'm in a fight until my last breath. I'm in a fight for eternity. I'm in a fight for the eternity of this city. I'm in a fight for the eternity of my family. I'm in a fight for the eternity of my soul. I may accomplish a great victory at the end of 21 days of fasting and prayer, but I know that I will be surrounded by another enemy. So I'm not going to wait until I am surrounded. I'm going to train now for when I am surrounded. I know it's coming. I know it's going to happen. And who I am in that place will be dependent upon what I've been doing before I got there. I know it's coming. And I don't fight as if I beat against the air. No. (laughs) I don't know. At our elementary school, if we like got enough, there were these times we were just being goofy. And we would put our arm up like this and we'd put our hand over our face. And we'd be like, like we were fighting one another. It was a joke. But that's what I see a lot of Christians. That's what they're doing. They're like, here comes the enemy. Here comes the situation. They're like, Like, hey, got no sense, no armor, no weapon. Either that or they they look like a child. When something scary happens, they, they go all alligator arm, like a receiver from Alabama across the middle of the football field. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even say that in first service. That was just for you. <laughs> they get all, ah, you know, they're just trying not to lose. Instead of understanding that the victory's already been won. The second thing that Joshua understood, he knew who he was fighting for. I'm going to read this quickly, but I want to see if you pick up on a catchphrase in these few passages. Joshua chapter 1, starting in verse 6. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only, only be strong and very courageous, being careful, not excessive, not emotional, 
not unstable, but being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Your word was a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will meditate on that word day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Have I not commanded you? Have you not heard that I already said, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. No matter what enemy you're surrounded by, no matter what report you receive, no matter what sensation you did or did not have in that moment, no matter how you feel about it, the Lord, my God, is with you wherever you go. Jesus is with you wherever you go. And when you're standing in the face of the enemy, you do not fear, but you walk in the anointing and the authority of that which is strong and in the Lord and the Lord alone. I may not make it right all the time and I may not do it right all the time, but I heard his voice this morning when I woke up to pray. I heard his voice last night when I was reading his word. I heard his voice through that preacher on Sunday. I heard his voice in that altar that I built. And so because I've heard the voice of God, I've got something to say to the enemy. Submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee. Another enemy is just another enemy. I close with this. I want you to note that Jesus did not say on the cross it will be finished. He didn't say on the cross I see revelation. He didn't say on the cross I'm coming like a cloud at the end of days. He said on the cross, not that it would be, but that it already is. He said, it is finished. I've already won the victory in the spirit. I've already won the victory over this body. All things are going to pass away, but new things are going to replace the old. Old enemies are going to be overcome and more are going to surround you. But the more enemies, come on somebody, the more God can make examples of. Every time that God has something great to do through you, you will find an enemy against you. But God declared it is finished. I've already won it. Come on, you may be down, but you're not done because the victory is his and the battle still belongs to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you. It does not return unto you void. I thank you that the promises that you made to your sons and daughters in the Old Testament are still made new every morning to children in the New Testament. God, that our enemy is not flesh and blood, but powers and principalities of darkness. Our weapons of warfare are not carnal, but divine 
in power and able to abolish strongholds. So God, right now, for every person in this room that is facing a stronghold, I break it in the name of Jesus. I speak obedience over that person. And therefore, in their obedience, they receive your authority as they submit to you and resist the enemy. They take the battle to the enemy this afternoon. They take the battle of forgiveness to that friend. They take the battle of of repentance to you, God. I pray they surrender and submit. And in their submission, they begin to watch the enemy run. They begin to see the enemy flee at the mention of your name. With every head bowed and every eye closed before you gather your things this morning, for every follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to invite Jesus into your situation. Don't ask him to just intervene. Ask him to take control and then give it to him. Don't ask him to be involved put him in charge Lord we lean not on our own understanding our own ability but God we trust in you if you're in here this morning and you have not given your life to Jesus or maybe you did and you've drifted for whatever reason you've departed from the faith you've fallen away this is the day of your salvation God brought you here to hear this message. He loves you. He wants to forgive you. He wants to set you back up. He wants to make you more than you knew you could be. But it starts with your surrender. If you're in this room right now with nobody looking around and the church is praying that the Holy Spirit would speak clearly to every individual. If you need to receive salvation today, if you need to ask Jesus for forgiveness for the first time or the first time in a long time, surrender your life to him. Confess him as Lord. If I'm talking to you with nobody looking around, but everybody willing, lift your hand as an act of obedience to God. I'm just going to pray for you. I'm just going to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Just say, hey, that's me. That's me. I just want to be right with Jesus before I leave here today. I know that this isn't the end, but I know that I need to begin. And it begins with salvation and repentance before holy God that paid the price for you. If you need to be included in this prayer of confession and repentance, lift your hand. Say, Lord, please see me. See my hand. See my heart, God. Before we leave this place today, if you lifted your hand, even if you didn't, church, I want to invite you to pray with me out loud. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We declare that together. Come on, lift your voice in this place. If you lifted your hand, awesome. If you didn't, pray it anyways. Let's confess it to God. Jesus, forgive me where I fall short, where I've sinned, where I've hidden, where I should have stood. When I've expected other people to do for me what you paid for me to do, cleanse me, save me, take my life make it yours. I believe you died on the cross and you were raised from the dead so that I could follow you. Here I am, Lord. Send me in Jesus' name. Come on, can you give God praise this morning?